0: to win. My dad was a runner, one of, the, one of the sports he competed in, and did very well. And uh, later in life, when he had his children, he would take me from time to time to events, many sporting events. He would take me to a track meet. It was kind of interesting, or he'd watch with me on TV. And we'd watch a, a long-distance runner. When the start of the race began, he would kind of nudge me, and then he'd point out certain characteristics of certain runners, and especially those who jumped out of that starting block very rapidly in a long-distance run, then he'd say, he won't finish the race in first place. You know, I wasn't getting all that he was telling me. I was a kid. Now I get it. Now I understand it. And uh, why it's important that we run the race with perseverance and run it well. So we're going to look to the word of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, and let's stand together. I'm going to read to you the word of God right now. And here's what Paul wrote. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs. but Only one person gets the prize. So run to what? All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it for, to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadowboxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. That is a very good point. Apply it. Get your body trained, disciplined. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So, Father, your word is our owner's manual. Holy Spirit, reveal from the owner's manual what we need to hear, illuminate by revelation, what we need to see, what we need to apply, causing us to grow, to mature, to develop, to rise up and defeat our adversary so that we run to win. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul goes on to say in Hebrews 12, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Wow, that's quite quite challenging. Now, Paul uses the analogy of running a race. And he's speaking using the Greek culture as his background for the message. Athletics were a huge part of the Greek culture during the time that Paul was here. And the Greeks prized physical fitness in their culture. From childhood, Greeks were encouraged to participate and compete in athletics. So Paul uses the analogy of running the race and being a fit athlete. He says, it's not speed, but endurance. It's winning the prize. In the Greek culture, there were no rewards for second and third place. Okay? Only the winner received the prize. So Paul says that living for God requires us to be temperate and disciplined in all areas of our lives. As an athlete, has to discipline his or her body. An, abs- an athlete will abstain and be temperate because he or she knows if I stay up late and eat a lot of pizza at night, I'll probably not perform very well early the next morning. They know it's a prerequisite, so they're temperate in all things. And Paul tells the followers of Jesus, You avoid excesses, you are to be disciplined. Just as a runner is disciplined so must you be as Jesus was. We are to be disciplined. You watch your diet. You restrain your flesh. It's under subjection. You are patient, which means you endure the hardship without complaint. And Paul said, living for God is like running a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a long race. And Paul said, understand that everyone will not win the race. Now, many of our Western churches, the subject of hell is never brought up. According to our Western culture, in our church in the Western culture, God might as well shut off the burners because no one is going to go to hell. It's not according to the Word of God. There will be people who go to hell. And Jesus said that before it all winds down there'll be people in the church who fall away. People will miss the prize. And Paul said this, the Christian journey takes discipline, and it takes determination and focus. This past Tuesday, they ran the Boston Marathon. Boston Marathon is perhaps the premier marathon in America. Over 35,000 people participants began that race last Tuesday. And it was a big deal in the news because it was a one-year commemoration in in honor of and remembrance of the horrible terrorist attacks that occurred in that race in 2013. People were killed and others were maimed, permanently injured. It's a famous marathon. 26.2 miles. People running that marathon from all over the United States. They trained for months to compete in that race. And what's really interesting about the Boston Marathon is this. For the first 19 miles of the marathon in Boston, it's a slow downgrade run. You might not realize it while you're running it, but the first 19 miles of the Boston Marathon is a slow downgrade So when you cross the 19th mile marker, something happens in the race, and it confounds the less experienced runners. When the Boston Marathon begins, as the runners all take off, everybody looks good, everybody's fresh, everyone has come equipped. They all look like runners who are winners in this race. But when they arrive at the 19th mile marker, it's a proven fact that something begins to happen in their bodies the muscle strength begins to dwindle. The mind gets a little foggy. At the 19th mile marker, things begin to change. It happens when your body is weakened, when your body is depleted. You've been running for 19 miles, and though it's been mostly downgrade, it's still taking a toll on you, and now you're a little bit exhausted, a little bit tired, and that's when the designers of the Boston Marathon have crafted into the race the first hill you have to climb it's called heartbreak hill they know after you've run 19 miles all the amateurs and less experienced who thought we're doing well they think i've got this i can do this they come up on the 19th mile marker and something begins to break down hypoglycemia endorphins are depleted your body is drained of energy and so the brain has to make a choice pull the energy out from the rest of the body and the muscle systems and the brain wins. And all of a sudden now your energy has now sourced back into your brain and everything in your body is screaming, stop, (laughs) slow down. And some are going to drop out as they begin the ascent of that hill. Then they said, next your head begins to get cloudy As you've crossed that 19th mile marker, it's called hitting the wall. When you hit the wall, everything in you says, give up, quit. When you hit the wall, when you really could use a break, that's when it gets the toughest. You hit Heartbreak Hill, and that's when the runners begin falling by the wayside, by the dozen. There's something about Heartbreak Hill that breaks the spirit and breaks the heart of the amateur, The Weekend Warrior. They just showed up for the marathon. And if you do happen to make it the first 19 miles, you're not going to make it up Heartbreak Hill unless you've truly prepared yourself for that moment. Because the first 19 miles is one thing, but Heartbreak Hill is there by design, intentionally, on purpose. Before the race begins, it appears... There's equality among all the racers, but something happens, and it separates the contestants from the contenders. It's called Heartbreak Hill, and it separates those who are weekend warriors from those who have truly trained and disciplined themselves. You either become a contestant or a contender. If you're a contender, you know how to extend yourself when you begin to go upgrade at Heartbreak Hill. You know how to stretch yourself. You know how to reach down deep inside and draw from something extra. You know how to have disciplined yourself. You know how to go the distance once you reach Heartbreak Hill and you don't quit. Because many people are just contestants. They just get into the race, but they're not contenders for the prize. Not everyone who enters the race are contenders. Contenders. There might be only a half a dozen that are truly contenders. The rest are contestants. They're part of it, but they've not paid the price in preparation to contend. In a horse race, not every horse is going to win the race. The pros know what to look for in a horse race. And they're going to say, well, that one is a contender for the prize. Don't pay attention to who takes off in the lead at the beginning of the race. Mm -mm. don't pay attention to the one that jumps way out in front in the lead when the starter gun goes off those inexperienced like children when they're first learning they just take off running wide open I mean they let it all go and they take off they haven't learned to pace themselves but then about a third of the way into the race those that did that begin to slow down and they lose their breath and they lose momentum and others go right by them and look back and wave don't concentrate on those who come out of the gate quickly the true contenders are disciplined they're under control they understand i'm holding my flesh back for this race i'm going to need some reserves when i encounter a heartbreak hill the experienced runners know heartbreak hill is coming I didn't expect this race to be all downhill. I did not expect it to all be easy. I never expected this to be an easy trot over the finish line. I'm fully aware to have what I need to get over the top of Heartbreak Hill to get the prize. I've got to pace myself. American Christians need to break out from just being weekend warriors. What people don't grasp Is that the strategy of Heartbreak Hill by those who designed the Boston Marathon to weed out the weekend warriors? Weed out the guy who's just there to try to impress his lady friend. You know, he said, I'm in. Let's go. And his belly's hanging out over his waistline. And he might run downhill for a long period. But when he encounters Heartbreak Hill, it's probably going to be Heart Attack Hill for him. (laughs) It's designed to weed out the amateurs. It's designed to get rid of the social runners. It's designed to weed out the weekend contestants, those who have brand new shoes and their brightly colored shirts. They look the part of a runner. But Heartbreak Hill nullifies everything but stamina and physical conditioning and training, a desire and a will to win. If you don't possess that, you'll never get past Heartbreak Hill. It matters now how well you started. Or how far you ran. When you get to Heartbreak Hill, if something is not in you that says, I cannot quit, you will not make it. Heartbreak Hill weeds out those who are just contestants. Heartbreak Hill arrives when fatigue begins to set in. Just about the time after 19 miles, and you've expended a whole lot of your ability and your energy That's when fatigue begins to set in. That's when you encounter Heartbreak Hill. You face your Heartbreak Hill when you are exhausted, when you're worn down, when everything in you is starting to scream, quit. It's when you have hypoglycemia, spiritually, and it begins to manifest. And suddenly, you're spiritually exhausted. Fatigue has set into your faith, into your praise, into your worship. It's gotten into your spirit. Everything in you says quit. You've been running and running. It was easier when you first started, but now you're facing heartbreak hill. And something is breaking your heart. Something is breaking your dreams. Your children have broken your heart. Your marriage, your family has left your heart broken. You're in a crisis It's in the moment in this Christian race you discover what you really have. It's not the high times that make you. It's when you're facing heartbreak hill. It feels like your muscles are depleted. Your head feels foggy. It's in those moments you have to dig deeper. You're being stretched. And you have to decide, I am not a weekend warrior. I'm a long-distance runner. Now, Ethiopian runners are among the fastest in the world. They are trim and they are lean. If you're ever running a race and some guy from Ethiopia shows up to compete, just go out and buy a donut and watch. Okay? Because the Ethiopians can fly. You will not outrun them. They run like the wind. And when recently interviewed, one of their premier runners said this The reason we win so many races, we run uphill all of our lives. He said, Most other nations' runners practice running on a straight track with a few upgrades. We run uphill all the time. In our nation, we run uphill everywhere. So when we come to a heartbreak hill, (laughs) it's no big deal. I've run uphill all my life. So when I come to Heartbreak Hill, why would I quit now? It's when I'm getting my second win. And I love that. I love that attitude. We are to dig deeper, stretch ourselves, run uphill. We are not amateurs. We are tempered in all things. We run to win. We don't quit. We don't stop. Heartbreak Hill is located in one of the loneliest places in the marathon. Because when you came out of the starting blocks, you know, there were cheerleaders there, people cheering and applauding by the thousands, clapping, yay, excitement. But when you keep on running and now you've come up on the 19th mile marker, heading up Heartbreak Hill, there aren't very many fans. No one's cheering for you. It's lonely. You're alone in your thoughts. No one's there yelling at you. You can do this. No one's running alongside of you, offering you some Gatorade. There's no one there but you. It's a lonely place. And some of you can run as long as people are encouraging you. Some of you can run as long as someone is offering you some spiritual Gatorade. But there's a place you're going to come to in your journey with God. And I hate to tell you this, there is a heartbreak hill somewhere in your life you're going to encounter. And there won't be anybody there cheering for you. No one is going to be there saying to you, you can make it. The only voice that will matter is your voice and God's voice. And like David, you're going to say, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He was all alone when he made that statement. It's a lonely place. He was at Heartbreak Hill. Over his family and the families of all of his warriors. It's a lonely place. There's no visible finish line in sight at Heartbreak Hill. But that hill was placed there strategically by the one who planned the race. And God allows us to run. And sometimes it's easy and it's wonderful and it's a fun run. We're running downhill, and there's wind at our backs. But then come seasons when we arrive at Heartbreak Hill. And the word says this to us. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Not just the downhill steps. Not just the easy ones. Now, the Heartbreak Hill steps. And God says, I want you to climb Heartbreak Hill. And if you can get over Heartbreak Hill, something broke your heart. Something happened. Somebody somewhere did something, and it brought you to this place in your Christian walk where it broke your heart, and you have faced Heartbreak Hill. God, why did my marriage fall apart? God, why did this happen to my children? Why did this happen to my family? Why did my daddy walk out on us? And if you won't allow heartbreak hill to stop you, the word of the Lord to you is this. There's a wonderful prize on the other side of heartbreak hill. Most will drop out. Most will quit. Most give up when they encounter heartbreak hill. But there are some who say, I never thought it was going to be easy. I never expected a smooth journey all the way to the finish line. Most runners expend themselves, but there are those who are temperate. They have a made-up mind. They are disciplined. And if no one at all is cheering you, and no one is there to push you, there are those who understand, God placed me at this spot. And what the enemy went meant for evil, what he intended for my destruction, and I didn't think I'd be here at Heartbreak Hill, but here I am. Listen, some have been in relationships, and you're crying about some man or some woman who walked off. I'm saying what they meant to do evil in your life. God will make it work out for your good if you don't quit at Heartbreak Hill. Some of you have walked through tragedies. The word of the Lord to you is if you'll climb up over your Heartbreak Hill and quit living in the past, quit centering your life around the pain of yesterday, it's time to climb to the top of Heartbreak Hill and to go over it because something good is going to happen to you. And if you won't give up, that heartbreak hill. Do you believe that God has a hope for you in the future? That God's plans for you are good and not evil? It's at this moment that the true leaders emerge at the 19th mile marker. Because for 19 miles, other people ran on ahead. Everybody took off. And they all looked like they had the potential to win. But when they get to heartbreak hill they're winded they're out of speed and out of gas but if you turn around you will see coming behind you are the true leaders the true leaders are born at heartbreak hill that's where pastors and missionaries are born that's where ministries are born in your heart That's where leaders, no matter where you are in the culture, doing the job God assigned you, that's where leaders are born. Not running downhill with no resistance. Leaders are born when they face a huge mountain and it breaks their heart, but they persevere and they will not quit. They're crying and they're struggling and their mind is foggy. Everything inside is saying, give up. The dream is not going to happen but real leaders stand up and say, I know that God told me, and by his grace, I'm going to win that prize. That's where greatness is born. Not coasting downhill, but at heartbreak hill. You can come back from a broken heart. And do you want to be a leader? Let God break your heart. And see if you can get over heartbreak hill that he allows in your life. Because this is the test. If you can get over the hill and not be bitter, not be angry, not hate, not be upset with God and somebody else in your life. Even when you get no explanation and you have no comprehension or understanding and God allows you to experience heartbreak and you say, God, I don't understand, but I love you. I still will serve you. I will honor you the days of my life. That's where the leaders are born. That's where Job's leadership grew and developed in the full-blown biblical proportion. That's where Joseph's leadership rose to the surface when he hit heartbreak hill with his own family and then falsely charged and imprisoned. You can climb over heartbreak hill. God says, "Now you qualify." to be a leader because it's a heartbreak hill where real leaders take over the race suddenly all those weakened warriors the ones that just showed up to show off they fall out of the race but leadership rises to the top listen to me you are not defined by your good days you are defined by how you respond on the bad days You are not a born leader. You qualify to be a leader. And God uses heartbreak hills because anybody can quit. Anybody can give up. Anyone can throw in the towel on the dream or on the business when all those tough moments hit you. But real leaders stand up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when I think about the designers of the race in Boston, so our heavenly designer planned some heartbreak hills for you and me. I'm not saying that God planned for tragedies to strike your life, because we know many tragedies happen because of the evil in our world. God didn't plan that. The evil, the choices that people make, They created the tragedies often in people's lives. People controlled by the devil perpetrate harm on other human beings. And I know God did not plan that. Bad things happen to righteously good people. That was not God. We live on a broken planet. If you jumped off the Empire State Building, no matter your trust in God, you will die. That was not God. You understand what I'm saying? But God has designed into our race Heartbreak Hills. Well, pastor, he left me. Six billion people in the world and you're whining about the one who left you at Heartbreak Hill. <laughs> yes, you're bruised. But pick yourself up. Go get a new Do. Go work out. Have some fun. Enjoy yourself. Hang out with our godly singles. They will encourage you on your journey so you don't become a dropout. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Do you believe that? Think about Naomi in the scripture. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. All three had their running shoes, their shirts, their striped shorts. She had a beautiful family Naomi and her husband, two handsome sons, two beautiful daughters in law, one beautiful family, happy family. And the starter gun went off and they began to run the race and it was wonderful. They were running downgrade. Look at our beautiful family. The wind is blowing in their hair. They're cruising along. They're just running this race beautifully and wonderfully. And then came Heartbreak Hill. Naomi's husband suddenly dies. Then one of her sons dies. Then her second son died. And so you have Naomi widowed and her two daughters in law widowed, Ruth and Orpah. And they're standing there at Heartbreak Hill. And Naomi hears that there's bread in Bethlehem. On the other side of Heartbreak Hill, there's a prize. She turns to her daughters-in-law and she says, our lives have been devastated. We came out full, but now we've come back empty. She said, don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara Bitter. Life has dealt me a hard blow. And she said, girls, you just need to leave me alone. Go get on with your lives. This is not going to work for you. Orpah came and kissed her and said, I love you, but I'm not climbing that hill. I'm going back. They parted. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, grabbed Naomi and said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. We're standing here at Heartbreak Hill. We've all lost our loved ones. But we're not going to die at the foot of Heartbreak Hill. We're going over Heartbreak Hill and we're going to see what God has for us on the other side. And they traveled back to Bethlehem. And there they met a man named Boaz. You might not know who Boaz was. Boaz was a a wealthy landowner. Let me explain this to you. Boaz's mother was Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. Rahab married an Israelite named Salmon, and they had a son named Boaz. And she had worked as a prostitute, but honored the Lord's representatives, and God spared her life. And she married an Israeli, and she and her husband bore Boaz. He became so blessed in one generation from serving and honoring the God of Israel He became so wealthy, he owned all of the fields around the area of Bethlehem. And Naomi and Ruth climb over the top of Heartbreak Hill, and Ruth is out in one of those fields gathering the leftovers from a harvest, and God looks at this situation and says, let me hook this couple together, Ruth and Boaz. Who was Ruth? She was a Moabite. The Moabites existed because Lot's daughters slept with their father after they got him drunk and they became pregnant. Ruth was the product of incest and Boaz was the product of a former prostitute, but they all climbed over the top of Heartbreak Hill and they got to the other side and God arranged for Boaz and Ruth to come together. They got married. And they had a child, a son by the name of Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a child named David. And David had a great, great, great grandchild named Jesus the Christ. And God took the family from incest and prostitution into Matthew 1 and put them into the genealogy of the Christ. But they had to conquer Heartbreak Hill. Don't tell me God can't bless your family. Don't tell me God can't bless no matter what your background. Don't tell me God can't move in person's life. Even if you've been through heartbreak, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel because on the other side of heartbreak hill, there's a prize. There's a reward if you don't quit, if you don't give up. Does anybody believe you can get over Heartbreak Hill. Jesus climbed Heartbreak Hill. You can go see that hill, the place of the skull. He climbed it. He cried multiple times on Heartbreak Hill. In one of those moments of his crying out, He cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's lonely and heartbreaking. He didn't even hear the voice of his father. But Jesus knew there was a prize on the other side of Heartbreak Hill. He knew, I can't quit. He had just run downhill days before. He had descended from the Mount of Olives down Palm Sunday Road, a downgrade. There was this great triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Crowds. Thronging him by the thousand. People literally taking off their outer garments and throwing them down. Palm branches waving, Hosanna to God in the highest. Now it was torture, it's excruciating pain lonely it's the worst moment in the life of Jesus but then came the reward bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God Calvary decide today to put your heartbreak into God's hands and to determine I'll have to talk to God about it when I get to heaven I don't understand all of this I can't comprehend why he allowed this until then I've got to run on up this hill I've got to scale the top of Heartbreak Hill. I want to see what good thing God has on the other side of Heartbreak Hill. Tell your neighbor, you can't quit now. On the other side of Heartbreak Hill, there's a beautiful prize if you won't quit. Do I have any hill climbers here today? And you ought to get on your feet, lift your hands, and say, Lord, I'm going to climb this hill. I'm going to get to the other side because I'm determined to win. I'm not quitting, I'm determined to win. Get those hands, heaven.